Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Recovery Wednesday. It's June the 29th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Michael. Okay, well, I'm not sure what's happening with Michael's phone, so I'll just have you. That. Can you hear me? Oh, they all can. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened there. <laughs> okay, well, go for it. Cool. Welcome, everybody. Honored, delighted, and uh, once again, we get to talk about first-century Aramaic forgiveness, and uh, it's a uh, pretty awesome piece of technology that we've had the uh, the blessing of tapping into and it's uh, it seems with the world situation and the uh, insanity that's going on it's not a minute too soon to understand that the healing process is all an inside job and it's in each one of our hands to do that and when we talk about healing we're not f- talking about fixing a broken part of your structure or your mind, or your emotions. When we talk about healing, what we're talking about is the restoration, the recovery of each of our human lives. Our definition is a very practical one in terms of what is a human life. If you've ever held a newborn child, you know exactly what a human life is. It is the awesome active presence of love. And when love is present, you have a human life present. If you've lost that, you know, we come in as this presence of love and the world tends to put its thumbprints on us. And the thumbprints tend to look like all kinds of family dynamics, all kinds of cultural dynamics. And the way the world is going these days, certainly a ton of hostility and fear. I think about the the families that I've worked with. I'm actually thinking about an individual, a particular individual at this moment that I worked with several years ago. And this young lady came from a top-level family, just, you know, one that you would look at through the windows of the house, beautiful house, beautiful neighborhood, nice city, 
uh, all the, the the comforts you could imagine, the money, the prestigious home, prestigious job that dad has, mom at home, and then look at the trauma that has gone on for this person in their young life, and you got to know it's got nothing to do with circumstance. And our basic message is that recovery, the return to the true presence of love, is an inside job that each of us has the opportunity, and ultimately, if we really want to experience ourselves as human beings, the obligation to do the work that it takes to return to the truth of who we are. And the truth of who we are is that we are this sweet, awesome, active presence of love designed to function as love from day one. If there are thumbprints that have been put on you that are based in hostility or fear, the forgiveness process is the way you hammer out the dance. You know, it's kind of like a car. It's been, you know, beat up by a, uh, a major storm. How do you get the dents out? Well, you go inside and get the tools out and you start moving the dents out and straightening up the metal. Well, the hostilities and fears are no inherent part of the truth of who we are. There is nothing permanent about any form of hostility or fear. I can't tell you how often I watch people when they choose to take up the tools and they are in such terror and trauma and, and they can't fathom or can't imagine it could be different. And then just in many cases, a few short weeks of the use of the tools, and they're like, I can't imagine how my life turned around. Well, what, what happened? Oh, well, hammered some dents out. Then I've seen other people who struggle with it, who really don't have the willingness, who want to have a conversation about how somebody else is the problem in their lives and it's all their fault and if only somebody else would change. And that person ends up working for years and not getting very far. It, uh, it takes a, a state of willingness and the picking up of the tools and moving into the process of forgiveness in particular. If you haven't accessed the forgiveness tool as yet, we invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org. And first word on the page, top left-hand corner, says start here. Click there, a whole series of links will begin to open. And that will take you everywhere you want to go with the tools. And being Recovery Wednesday, let's check in and see if Dr. Tim is with us. Tim, are you with us, sir? I am here. Awesome. Well, anything on your mind to share today? Well, we had our group last night in Woodstock, Illinois, and we showed the movie I Am with Mr. Shadiak. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, his recovery from post-concussion syndrome to realize that he had a purpose in life other than just accumulating money and making funny movies. So he made this documentary about traveling around to the major philosophical, theological, psychological minds he could find alive today on this continent and others and asking them, what is the problem with life and what's a solution? And one of the primary concepts that he comes across in that documentary is the indigenous peoples in many cultures have a concept for a mental illness 
that's defined by the desire to have more than you need to survive or consume. And so he talks about how that that film that he made is a film about mental illness and that he was the poster child for that mental illness at the same time that he thought he was doing something to benefit humanity by making these funny movies and making millions and turning it into making more funny movies and and making people's lives better. And he came to realize that there isn't a whole lot of sense to having one person living in a 17,000-square-foot mansion when there are people right across, basically, you know, across town, across the street a few blocks away who are picking through the garbage to find food to survive on. So lovely, lovely movie was a very nice follow-up from last week's The Beatitudes with Yayam. Wonderful discussion. And then somebody who said, okay, hurry up and pass out those worksheets. I have to do a worksheet. And we had somebody who did a very powerful worksheet. And it was about something that most people would consider silly or trivial. And the point we want to make is it doesn't matter what how trivial I anybody else could label the trigger or the dynamic for me in a worksheet. If I have a negative emotion going, it's causing discomfort in my life, it's a very important worksheet for me to do. So we did that. She had some very good insights, and there was somebody there who was brand new to the group, and we had somebody else who was returning from months of being away. It was just a lovely Lovely gathering once again, and again, my gratitude to everyone who comes out, who has ever come out to that support group, and and, and especially those who come on a regular basis and support each other in removing everything that's less than love and stepping into the recovery of our awareness of our true nature as love. So that's my offering for today. Lovely, lovely, lovely day. Great. Great review. You know, I had forgotten that piece of um, the aboriginals that uh, they called it a mental illness to want more than what you really needed in order to live. And uh, it's interesting. The um, There's a website, and I'm not remembering the name of it at this moment, that you can go to that uh, you can put in basically, you know, what you drive, how big your house is, et cetera, et cetera, and it'll tell you how many planets it would take if everybody were to be living like that. And, uh, you know, a 17,000 square foot house would probably mean that it would take 50 planets, 50 Earths, the resources of the Earth 50 times over to support everybody living that way. And why would anybody think they have the right to that? Well, as you say, others are starving. So definitely a a good uh, boost toward recovering actual human life uh, that lives in abundance but doesn't have to be uh, opulent in order to really enjoy that abundance and show concern and caring and support for those who don't have and changing the game. So great. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate you reminding me that I need to watch that movie again. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it. So be a good reminder. Fabulous. Well, let's check and see if Gail is with us. 
Is Gail with us today, Jeannie? I am scanning the numbers. Gail, if you're on there, hit one. Or Dr. Androcki. Okay, yes. Or there she is. Hello. I am here. Apologies for not hitting one earlier. I am well. I just got done finishing mowing my lawn. (laughs) Uh So I am whooped. (laughs) I am whooped and I am hot. A little warm, yes. A little warm for doing the lawn this time of day. It's actually a lot cooler. It, it was actually was in the um, the lower 80s yesterday and was able to turn off the air conditioning and opening, open the windows and be able to have that throughout the night. Had a nice little nice. bonfire in my little, in my little um, fire pit and um, – was able to mow the lawn. It, it's actually pretty decent for lawn mowing right now, where I'm uh-huh. at. Cool. Well, anything exciting on your mind today in terms of yes. Recovery Wednesday? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Still in the process of uh, getting back my human life, for sure. Um, where the work seats or the wicket seats have directed me to for this week after last week um, has directed me to – Canceling goals for my stepfather, for a lack of a better name. Um, so anyway, the energy for canceling the goals for him is a lot different than canceling the goals for my father, my dad. Right. And um, I wanted to ask some questions based on that. The energy that is being released is now in the neck. It is upper neck upper like spine like at the very top and right below the skull and it seems to be a lot of the energy in the bones behind the ears and above the skull and would you have any insight to what that energy is about well that whole area is a core piece of the the human and energetic antenna And if you're moving a lot of energy in the body, it's not unusual for that tissue to start to shift itself around. And when you recognize that we are energetic beings, we are not physical beings, and the core antenna, every energy system has an antenna. If you don't have an antenna on your roof or a a signal, which is in essence the cable company brings an antenna and a signal in, then you're not going to get much in the way of picture and sound. And in exactly the same um, way, if I don't have my antenna aligned correctly, I'm going to block the, uh, the energetic dynamics of human life, and I'm going to be stuck with something else. And as the energy flow is weakened in the system, there tends to be you know, basically trash energies that accumulate in that part of the system. So when you start stirring it and awakening it and opening it, one, those parts of the tissue structure begin to literally restructure themselves. And two, if that happens to be the place where you've been storing the blocked energy, where the, the, you know, where energy flow is lowered, there tends to be just like, you know, imagine a stream and the stream is flowing slowly and all of a sudden it's not a stream anymore. It's a bog. It's filled with junk. 
And so as you clean up and move things out of the bog, uh, pun intended here, I guess, <laughs> then, then uh, <laughs> Thanks. That, was, that, was, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> it was good. Is bog. <laughs> then, uh, you know, you get to, you, you'll experience that energy shifting and moving. And I know I've gone through that. What, what, I haven't gone through that so intensely with my head, although I've had some, some shifts like that, but for a time period, if you look at early pictures of me, when I'm in my early 20s, I have a slight humpback in those pictures. If you look at my spine now, it's straight as a die up, up at the upper part of the spine. Uh, and I went through about three years of very intense, and I'm talking about physically painful at times intensity, where my spine was adjusting itself and my chest was doing the same and I would often get the front of my chest doing this click 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 and I mean I could I'm sure if I had a series of pictures you'd see my spine literally straightening up and going back to its original normal dimensions and shape and so it's, uh, it's not unusual for that to happen when you start moving the energy out. And it can be pretty intense. I've, uh, that three-year period, I remember one, one particular time we, uh, we were doing a, uh, an intuitive development class. And part of our intuitive development class at Heartland is, uh, is a canoe trip. We were going on this canoe trip, and I literally, the, the front of my chest were these things were adjusting themselves. It was in so much trauma that I could hardly pick up a, um, a, a paddle to paddle the canoe. And, you know, it's when the energy starts to shift, it's sort of a feedback loop. It will repair itself, and it sounds like you're in process of repair. That's what I was thinking the time that, uh, yeah, it makes total complete sense because I remember when you talk about the energy points during still point breathing, you talk about the body being an antenna and how the different, um, I guess the different handholds or the different energy points that we learn in, I guess the why part of it is about adjusting them. Is that correct? Well, it's not about adjusting it. It's about just supporting it, taking some of the pressures off it so that it can go back to its normal range of motion. Most people think when the baby's soft spot hardens that the head is fixed and solid, and it is not. Your whole life your head is or should be in continuous motion. It's only a millimeter or two, but it's enough that when you recognize the shape of an antenna determines the frequencies it receives, when the uh, that structure is in what they call flexion or extension, they're totally, completely, with all the fine bones and the movement takes place, totally different shapes. And so the energy field work that we teach is about just supporting the structure, being able to return to its normal. It's not about directing. It's just giving it the support that it needs to return to its normal uh, structure. If you uh, n- know someone who's had a child who has uh, a problem with head banging. You know, oftentimes a child will just sit there and rock and whack their head against the wall. And it's like, oh, my God, what's going on here? The child intuitively knows 
that its head has been traumatized and it's trying to get it to loosen up. And if you do energy field work on a child like that, the tendency will be for them to simply stop their head banging. It'll just, the antenna is restored to its integrity, that intuitive thing of I need, to get, I need to jar this back into its proper rhythm and range of motion. It's an important part of the whole core of energy flow through the structure. So that's why we developed and, uh, and teach that as part of the why is this happening to me again intensive. So good opening for that. We've got one of those coming up. This uh, I think it starts on the 14th of uh, August. If anybody's ready to take their work to the next level, there's a nine-day uh, Y intensive, which will include hands-on energy field work, still point breathing. Actually, why is this happening to me again? Healing through relationships, communication. Did you hear what I think I said? Purpose, personal power, commitment, empowered to heal, mind shifters. And uh, so there's a whole range of very intensive process-oriented workshops we'll do in that nine days. And uh, until the end of the month or maybe a few days after, we're, we're still working on setting out another mailing to give final notice. And uh, so we'll, we'll be uh, continuing to offer a free set of 15 DVDs, so $600 worth of DVDs as part of the registration free for anybody who wants to do that. And so if you're interested in joining us for that, connect and let's get you set up to do it so does that fit with uh with what you're experiencing yourself going through and you know you uh you can do some of the energy field work yourself on yourself and that might be helpful or some of the moves gotcha. you can yeah do. that that absolutely fits and thank you for the validation of all that and yeah that feels like absolutely what is going on and of course I have a lot of next injury stuff going on too so it's nice for that that release feels really nice and it feels like that's where it's supposed to be and of course I had scoliosis and lordosis not necessarily hunchback but definitely bent over um, with a little bit of a hunch I would say more of a like on the right side of it um, so, yeah, there's a lot of energy around my spine and around my neck as well. So thank you for that validation. I guess the other question that I have for you, or maybe maybe more validation to let you know what's coming up. Um, we talked last Brian? week about when I was attacked um, at that first fast food job that I got. Um, right. And then there was three things that happened. Um my stepfather moved in. He wasn't my stepfather yet, but he moved in um, as shortly after that happened. And then about nine months after that happened, my grandmother died. And um, so a, lo- a lot of stuff. And then that was about the time that I wasn't able to concentrate on schoolwork. I'm coming to realization or starting to feel or move the energy out of the total, the terror that I had for my stepfather living with us Um, and the coping skills mechanisms that I used when he did live with us. And um, anyway, and there was a, there was a lot of paralyzed fear with that as well. And so I was, um, that's what's coming up for me right now. Not only the the restructure mm. of of those bones, but the the terror and the you know being paralyzed. It, he was never physical with me. Go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say that they're they're one and the same. As you start to move and forgive that terror, it's that terror locked in tissue. I mean, think about someone who has something that brings terror up in them. Just think about the physical motion and what happens. The neck tightens, the shoulders tighten, the gut tightens, the butt tightens, the legs tighten, and the whole head locks up. And if the energy locks into that part of the antenna and corresponding parts within the body, then when you start to loosen that stuff up through forgiveness, those energetic patterns, and let them loose from the structure, then the structure is going to start to adjust itself accordingly. So that sounds like you're right on track with it. And isn't it bizarre that we live in a world where a young being that comes in as love has to experience terror? You know, it's in a, a culture that presents opportunities for that energy to be resonated and to be implanted. And that we have genetics that even recognize such a thing. It's just so so crazy when you realize that it's all just so unnecessary. We could actually simply be living as human beings, as the active presence of love. And how different would the game be if that's what we did? So thank you for doing the work that it takes to, to become a space, literally energetically, where that energy can be siphoned off of the planet. And to every person who steps into doing their healing work and supports others in healing that that the energetic vortex is created for literally drawing that energy off of the planet you're welcome thank you for teaching me how to do this it, it's an honor Delighted. i am i am complete this is all i have for today is just that validation cool. and talking about my experience and, and where the energy is moving for me. Cool. Well, let's check with Jeannie and see if there's anybody else with a hand up. Is Terry by any chance with us or Dr. Andraki or Jeannie, do you have anything to share with us? Any thoughts at this point? The only thing is uh, I looked up, you were asking, you were mentioning the thing about uh, how many planets it takes for a lifestyle. And that is actually a site called, let me scroll back to it, um, www.footprintnetwork.org. And then it's got a thing on there for your first, your personal footprint. And so I put a link in the notes for today. And so someone can go out there and, and go through the little questionnaire and find out how many planets it takes to support their lifestyle. And, uh, it's it's awesome how just right on it you are, sweetie. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. And also put a link to the I am the doc dot com, which is Tom Shadiak's site for the documentary. And if I look through the phone numbers and I'm not seeing them, so if Dr. Androcki or Terry Bowling are on there, please press one. We do have a caller though. So, 443, you're on the air. Uh, Greetings, Michael and your beloved wife. This is Naja from Baltimore. Welcome, young lady. How are you today? You're wonderful. I am wonderful with one of the exciting things that are happening. So, maybe 
for me is wonderful and exciting, but on the opposite side of human side, it's terrifying, but that's wonderful and exciting for being terrified because I know there is work that um, presented itself to me. Why is this constantly happening to me? And so um, I'm presenting uh, this to you. It's happening over and over. I said one time I stated that my brother um, is staying with me, but my brother been in prison off and on for 30 years. And I have been the one going to prison since he's been a child for 30 years. And then I'll, my mother died, so my mother never went to prison. I was always the one because I was the oldest. And so um, the same thing, I let him in, and he repeats the same thing over again and uh, sends himself back to jail. Now, I've been incarcerated five years, but I chose not to go back because I know I had to do the work. It was enough for me for the five years. So he's the baby and I'm the oldest. So we are the mirrors of each other. Um, I know that he's mirroring me and I'm mirroring him. My question is that for some reason, and I, I looked at it and I said that I had my mother's behavior still of taking care of others and not supporting myself. And from doing that, then I hold a grievance or guilt that this is something that I must do because I'm the oldest in the family and I went through a lot. And I can see their behaviors in me and things that I've went through. So um, the question again, I have them back again uh, in my home, but he's getting ready to come in a a little bit of money, maybe $9,000, and he's on parole. So my home is, this place where he has to stay until he gets off of parole. My, um, I'm going through my mind of how to release him with this money and what will happen if the probation officer knows that um, he's not staying with me or he has to go to another place. So I'm having difficulties of releasing him, trying to figure out the outcome, but not letting go, say I'm letting go, but I'm really not. I'm doing the same thing that my mother did. So I'm causing him uh, disservice um, because he can't grow until I take the chains and shackles off him. His mind and my mind, because there is fear. And what did that well, stimulate behind me, that fear of letting him go? Well, my offering would be that if you enable him 
to continue to do the same behaviors over and over and over again, then yeah. one of the things you might want to do, and it fits in perfectly with the whole idea of recovery Wednesday, is you might want to uh, participate in um, Al-Anon and start to learn how to support someone who has an addiction and, you know, his addiction might be prison. I, I don't know exactly what his addiction is, but you might want to uh, just start to look at what's your part in enabling him. And if you're not holding him accountable within the context of your home, uh, then mm-hmm. that would be the behavior that would tend to keep the pattern going. And then when whatever the dynamic is, it happens when it happens again to be able to look at what's that bringing up for you. You know, when I, when somebody says to me, well, what, what did I do to deserve this? Well, what came up for you when that happened? Was it anger? Was it fear? Was it sadness? Was it grief? Was it rage? Then that's the energy you're holding that produces the result that brings it up. People say, no, 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 that came after the event. No, actually, it was the energy held that helped to produce the event. And so I'd start doing some, I'd work from both ends on this, and I'd start doing some forgiveness on that that piece of what comes up for you and starting to remove that. Absolutely. You know, intellectually, I know that but I still don't do it. Intellectually, probably coming from recovery, that I know I'm enabling him, but I don't do it because it's deeper work. It is fear. It is grief because, like I told you, I have um, memorialized six family members, and the fear of, of losing another one and I know that is that's his path, and he he chose it. But my thing, I, I yeah, I have to go to Almond. I have to uh, deal with the grief of just another sister leaving here. But it wasn't through you no know, drugs or anything. They left it through cancer. Right, and you know, Gail might have some input from the point of view of the uh, the twelve steps, especially since you've done some twelve step work. And she's had family members where she's had some some similar patterns. Gail, do you have any input? I do. Cool. Am I on? You are. I, on. I thought I thought You're I was. You, hi, sweetie. Um, I've heard your voice before, and I've heard you talk about recovery in the past. Have yeah. you Have you gone to twelve step groups? Do you have your own addiction, or have you Have you um, I'm not currently in the 12 steps. I was in there for like 10 years, but I have been in reco- recovering. I do other works, um, other 12-step works uh, with the Course of Miracles uh, to help me. So I've been in recovery really for 30 years. But I I am hearing in my heart that that's what I need to get back to, to be connected to ones that, um, you know, know what I'm, what I'm really experiencing. They have been through it too. Not only not only spiritually, 
uh, well, not no church I go to, but uh, just just different spiritual groups. But I know I need to be connected back there because I know I'm an Abraham, and I really have to let them go or to play havoc on my heart, Understood. on my mind, and my body. Al-Anon was created by the co-founders' wives of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it was started by Lois Wilson and Ann Smith. And it started with Lois Wilson throwing a shoe at her husband because he got sober. <laughs> he got sober, and um, and she, there was a part of her that wanted to be able to save her husband and she didn't. Um, what saved her husband was other alcoholics, and um, and the twelve steps, which came from the Oxford group Six Tenants. And then he turned his attention from drinking to trying to save the world of alcoholism, and and taking other people wow. in um, to their home. And so she became very jealous of him turning his attention from his alcoholism. And, and drinking to to al- other alcoholics and trying to save them and take them through the steps and, and putting himself in a position to be writing the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so he turned his attention. She had goals for him um, for, you know, him to turn his attention back to her. And he did not. And so she got very upset and threw a shoe at him. And then in the shame of throwing that shoe at him through her frustration, she um, made the choice at that time that she could apply the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to her addiction, and her addiction ends up being her husband or other alcoholics. And I started off in Al-Anon first, um, and then I realized that my drinking um, was alcoholic drinking, and I went through a period of time of trying to change somebody else's behavior as well. Wow. And, uh, and it doesn't work. And and also it, my, my um, experience is that I was with somebody for 16 years that was, it was a revolving door relationship. Um, this man is the father of my children and um, it was, it was very violent and um, there was, several times when he could have killed me and I was able to apply the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in the Al-Anon um, um, venue I guess in Al-Anon context and get to a place of being safe and being free and the only difference between the Al-Anon steps and the AA steps is the the 12th step when it says that we um, it says for the Al-Anon steps that they carry the message to others where it says in the AA steps that we carry the message to other alcoholics. But the first step is still the same. I am powerless over alcohol, no matter whose body it goes into. And my life is still unmanageable because my thinking's messed up. I think that I can control somebody else. And in terms of that turns into, I have goals. I have goals that I need to cancel for others. Wow. That's when my life was unmanageable. Wow. Um, so then I into the prison life, um, I, um, I, I 
gone to jail, but um, for misdemeanors. But um, I used to be a substance abuse counselor in a prison in Southern Illinois. And um, I got some insight on um, men becoming institutionalized, that they can't make it on the outside because they're so used to the rules and having other people controlling them. Uh, you know that the structure of prison life um they know what to expect and so when they get out they have a very difficult time on the outside i've had many many people explain to me of course they want to be free of course they want to be on parole of course they want to be able to walk down the street and not have to worry about a guard yelling at them because they're not wearing their uniform correctly but there's also a lot of terror and a lot of fear with that freedom. There's a lot of responsibility in that freedom. And of course, when they get out and they're on parole, they have so many hoops to jump through, um, meetings to go through, parole officers to visit, piss tests to take. Um, there's a lot. And, um, so I, I had this one guy talk to me about, he only felt comfortable being in a room at his sister's house. He also lived with his sister when he was on parole. He only felt comfortable being in a small room. He felt very uncomfortable, like the, the you know, the right dimensions of his cell was the only room that he was comfortable in. And then, yeah, it the, the hierarchy in prison, um, it, especially if there's gangbanging involved, those rules are very comfortable to live by. That kind of um, the accolades for that kind of behavior, um, the rules, it, it, it it's comfortable. They get comfortable. They they become institutionalized, and when, and when they get on the outside, they become very uncomfortable. So it. Um, it, and it's because stress. they have goals. Yeah, exactly. It's stress. stress. And, and, yeah. and so if you if you could teach your brother how to to cancel goals to do the wake up sheet, um, that could be a bond that you create for each other, and to where you can both, um, you you could have this bond, but you could both cancel the goals, and and start to have a different life. That's so what I want deep, deeply. Um, Has he gone into recovery at all? No, but that's what I'm going to have to suggest. Yeah, you might ask him if he'd be willing to uh, to uh, even come to an Al-Anon meeting with you and start to build the brain cells for for something different and learn to uh, to set and frame different goals. And chances are that from mm-hmm. his life prior to going to prison, he has still in his mind a lot of goals, and that's what takes him into the behavior. You know, all, all behavior is driven by goals, and that's what takes him into the behavior that's off target, that got him in, into jail in the first place. And so until yeah. you start forgiving, dropping beneath the surface, and look, looking at what the goals are that drive behaviors 
to get one into trouble and start canceling those goals and cleaning that troublesome energy out, the tendency is going to be right. to just keep keep doing it. So, you know, it's, it's going to be his, uh, his willingness. And, you know, to what level, what degree are you going to uh, want to hold him accountable? That's another whole, whole issue there. So, right. and, and what, what part of that accountability is yours to do as a sister, you know? So it's, it's a, certainly not any simple uh, situation. Let's see if Dr. Tim no. has any thoughts for you. Tim? Well, I don't know how I could improve on what you and Gail just said. I mean, it's mm-hmm. – uh, but before Michael said it, or I'm sorry, before Gail said it, I was thinking that Al-Anon and the, the tools they teach are, are a wonderful support that's available to you practically anywhere you are in the U.S. these days. And on a regular basis, when I give talks, people come up to me from the audience and say, wow, you've been in a lot of 12-step work, huh? Or you've been in Al-Anon, or you've been in you know, Narcotics Anonymous, haven't you? And I say, no, but this is all the same stuff. What works really works. And the, the last piece I would add is, as Michael said, the most loving thing I can do to, with, for, and towards someone who has a, an addiction problem is to let them have the consequences of their choices. The most devastating thing I can do <clears throat> is stand between them and the consequences of their choices. That's not a loving thing to do. Wow. Wow. Wow, we. I thank you. I need to hear that again. Because I needed that support. I needed to hear it again and know this is something that I must do. I had to sit down and talk to him because my husband was um, uh, using two, me and him at the same time. And I went into NA and then I made a conscious decision to leave my husband and let him... uh, run his path until he came into N.A. But he came in there, and then he was in there for like 10 years, and he went back, and he died. But that release and letting go was very difficult for me. That was my husband. But this this thing with my brothers, like just like seeing this thing, over and over again, if I could release my husband, what attachment, fear that I have over, over seeing my brother not being here or another family member that I'm going to have to memorialize. I have to get that sickness out of my head. Well, one one of the things that comes to mind to say here is I know that it's easy to think about telling somebody else what they should do with their life. And what I've tried to do in my life, personally and professionally, is make sure that I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I wasn't willing to do myself. And Michael Rice, who's on the phone here, can attest to the fact that my own son got into serious trouble with the law and was facing three felonies and I don't know how many misdemeanors, and I refused to bail him out 
because I had raised him telling him, if you make good choices, you'll get good consequences. If you make bad choices, you have bad consequences. And either way, I'm not going to steal credit for your good choices, and I'm not going to stand between you and the consequences of your bad choices. So my son went to jail and begged me to bail him out, and I, I refused to. I stayed true to my word. And then about a little over a year later, that was all coming to a head, and he had to make a decision. Was he going to go back to jail, or was he going to plead guilty to a felony and take probation? And Michael Rice was visiting and, and spending the week in my house during that time. And he can attest to the fact that I didn't bail my son out, and I didn't tell my son what he had to do. I helped him slow down and think about the consequences of his choices, and if he refused to do 38 days in jail, he would have for the rest of his life a felony on his record. And we tried to give him the option to go work it out at Heartland, and Michael had offered to intervene with the judge and the prosecuting attorney to let him do his jail time at Heartland. And my son looked at Michael's website and said, I can't do that. He talks about God. So my son chose to reject an option that would keep him out of jail time. And then he had to face the choice. Does he do 38 more days in jail, or does he have a lifetime of having a felony on his record? And I had to just watch as he made his choice, because I chose not to interfere and block the consequences of his choices. I think much to his credit and for the benefit of his life, he chose to spend another 38 days in jail. And he's, to, he's in, in the world today functioning as an adult, and he has no felonies on his record. Wow. Wow. Definitely some I'll difficult choices law there. Goals. Okay, and and go. make the space for yourself to now. process. Make the space for yourself to process the pain that's underneath those goals, the pain in relationship to your brother, the pain in relationship to family, and perhaps some pain still left over from when you you know spent five years of your life in that circumstance. So that that probably is, are they're probably all the things that are going to start to surface as you go through this process and. We're here to hold the space and support you in it. Well, thank you, Michael, because the pain is there. From the time that I've been I've been incarcerated, and I, I know that it's there. So I got to feel the pain and do it anyway. Is that going to be easy? Well, and, and remember to keep keep in the practice of holding to conscious, active, present love as you do it. If you find yourself surfacing too much at once, that you go unconscious and you get lost in it, slow down a little bit. It doesn't all have to be done yesterday. You know, you didn't get here in a day. You're not going to get free of a lifetime and a genetic history of trauma in, in, a, you know, in a minute or a day or a week or a month or a year. So make sure that you pace yourself so you stay conscious and that you keep bringing in that active presence of love, bringing in. And if you forget, call us, and we'll help remind you. Okay. I thank you. I thank you very much. I thank All you right, for lady. your love. 
And I you got thank it. you for your consciousness. Ashe. Thank you. Ashe. Blessings. Bye bye. All right. All right. Powerful. Powerful. You know, it's pretty bizarre that we live in a country that incarcerates more people than anybody in the world. It's just unbelievable and definitely time for a change in that direction. So, Jeannie, do we have anybody else with a hand up or anything happening in the uh, control panel or in the uh, chat room? Pardon me. I am the only person in the chat room today. I don't know where everybody's at. (laughs) (laughs) I rebooted it. I thought, well, maybe it's not showing up or something, but I'm the only one there. Uh, We do have a hand up, though. Uh, We're down to seven minutes. Area code 707, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. It's Julie. How are you guys? Hey, we are well, young lady. Good to hear from you. Um, Jeannie, just so you know, I've been trying to get onto the chat room, and for whatever reason, I can't seem to, so I don't know if it's operator error on my part or if something's going on. Okay, it must be a blog talk Uh, issue then, because there's hardly ever a day that I'm the only one there. So, Okay, thank you for letting me know that. Uh Uh-huh, and the other thing and the reason why, I was just going to, you know, type it in to say thank you to Dr. Tim for that suggestion on tapping. I uh, read the whole web page and everything else and started doing a little bit of it, and I found it helpful in um, just kind of bringing me together a little bit more so I could focus and do my worksheets. So I think the combination, I'm optimistic that it's going to really help me, you know, get more directed. So I just wanted to share that and thank him. Awesome. it. I don't have much All to right. say today. I'm sorry. Well, that's cool. I, I, you know, it's nice to hear you say that, and it gives reinforcement to everybody. The uh, the tools definitely go hand in hand. And for anybody who uh, who's not familiar with what we're talking about, maybe Dr. Tim would just give us a a brief uh, synopsis once again of uh, what and why and how the tapping works and where to get it. Well, the principle behind the tapping is that it accesses the acupressure, the acupuncture meridians, but doesn't use needles, it uses pressure. So you can do tapping or rubbing to stimulate the energy flow through the acupuncture meridians. And the acupuncture meridians feed all of the physical aspects of the body. And they're also connected to all of the mental and emotional processes. So a simple way to think about it is that the energy that my body needs to keep my lungs functioning and build new lung cells when they wear out and exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide with the bloodstream is the same energy that my mind and my body needs to process sadness and grief. And the energy that my body needs to keep my liver functioning to detoxify the blood and build new liver cells when they wear out is the same energy that my mind and body needs to process anger and resentment. So if I understand that an energy flow that's invisible yet powerful, subtle but powerful, can get blocked in me by a tightness in the muscles, by a resistance to look at something, by a trauma from the past. If I breathe and learn to tap on some key energy points, they call them the gateway points for these acupuncture meridians, I breathe and tap or rub on these points and I think about allowing the energy to flow 
to restore the natural flow of energy through this energy system. It helps move me through whatever discomfort, whatever negative thought, whatever negative emotion. It helps to spill off the extra energy that's getting backed up. Think of it like a garden hose. When it's straight and open, the water just flows freely. If it gets kinked or knotted, then the pressure builds up and the water can't flow. So I encourage people to think about that when they're doing breathing and tapping work and think about connecting and think about flowing and think about allowing and releasing whatever doesn't belong and allowing to come through them whatever does belong. And one of the best places to go for this is the website EMO. E is in Edward, M is in Matt, O is in Opportunity, E-M-O-F-R-E-E, free, as in no money, emofree.com. I send people there because this is the gentleman that created the system, and he has more high-quality material for free on that website. So you can read descriptions of it. He gives a free tutorial, an extensive tutorial about how to do it that's in writing and also has videos you can click on. Yep. It really helped me yesterday, and I appreciate your your direction on that. And I think that is, you know, professional in doing it too. And I'm just finding my way as, you know, very new with it. But I did, it did feel a little bit different, and I've noticed that I'm, um, thinking clearer and which is good because then I do my worksheets and I'm not completely discombobulated as I would say um, in, in my thought process and getting through the worksheets and um, I, I, um, I enjoy the adventure of the whole thing going down to the end and, and learning some from it and, and letting go of things. So um, it helped a little bit to, to help me to do that. Thank you. Glad to hear it. Congratulations on choosing to do the work. No, and I really appreciate the help from our friends. Thank you again, all of you. So Delighted. I'm going to say goodbye because you're at the end. All right. Yeah, we're just down the last few seconds, so we'll say appreciation to everyone for lending your listening ears, speaking the principles and the tools to others, and extending the energy of the active presence of love to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. Together, we make a difference. And And thank you to Dr. Tim and Michelle for doing the show tomorrow while you're in the air. Yes. I'll be flying around up in the skies, and so hold travel blessings for me and uh, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. I choose to live more consciously, evolving continuously. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice as we present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. 
A-G-A-I-N dot org. <laughs>